0: How can I grow spiritually in my life? The degree to which we grasp the principle that I'm going to talk about tonight will determine how far we go in our spiritual development. And if we don't grasp this principle, it's going to mean not a matter of if but when we drop out of the, lo- of, of the race. If we don't grasp hold of this principle, it's just a matter of when we'll crash. And I'm going to read the book of Obadiah. I thought I'd better do that after Phil's words. You'll be pleased to know that this is the shortest book in the Old Testament. It's a rather obscure little book though. And Obadiah was a prophet and this is a record of a prophecy that he made against the Edomites. And it's a very negative prophecy. There's a lot of harsh criticism in what he says. He criticises the the actions of the Edomites. And, And what he says is, you people are on a path and you're headed for destruction. And Jeremiah says the same thing in his writings. Ezekiel says the same thing. And even in the Psalms we find reference to the Edomites that's really negative. So let's read this book, The Vision of Obadiah. This is what the Sovereign Lord says about Edom. We have heard a message from the Lord. An envoy was sent to the nations to say, rise and let us go against her for battle. See, I will make you small among the nations. You will be utterly despised. And the next two verses are the ones that we're going to concentrate on tonight. And they explain the reason why Edom was on this path to destruction. The pride of your heart has deceived you. You who live in the clefts of the rocks and make your home on the heights. You who say to yourself, who can bring me down to the ground? Though you soar like the eagle and make your nest among the stars. From there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. If thieves came to you, if robbers in the night... Oh, what a disaster awaits you. Would they not steal only as much as they wanted? If grape pickers came to you, would they not leave a few grapes? But how Esau will be ransacked, his hidden treasures pillaged. If you remember, Esau and Jacob were brothers. And from Jacob descended the whole nation of Israel. And from Esau descended the Edomites. And right from when Jacob and Esau were young men, there was conflict and tension between them. And this conflict continued between primarily the land of Judah and the Edomites. We see this tension ongoing there. All your allies will force you to the border. Your friends will deceive and overpower you. Those who eat your bread will set a trap for you, but you will not detect it. In that day, declares the Lord, will I not destroy the wise men of Edom, men of understanding in the mountains of Esau. For some reason in Edom it was considered to be the heart or the foundation of wisdom in that land and I'm going to mention a couple of things later that will explain that a little more. "'Your warriors, O temen, will be terrified "'and everyone in Esau's mountains will be cut down in the slaughter. "'Because of the violence against your brother Jacob, "'you will be covered with shame. "'You will be destroyed forever.'" On the day you stood aloof while strangers carried off his wealth and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, you were like one of them. And this is reference to the destruction of Jerusalem when the Babylonians came in and captured that city. You should not look down on your brother in the day of his misfortune, nor rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of their destruction, nor boast so much in the day of their trouble. You should not march through the gates of my people in the day of their disaster, nor look down on them in their calamity in the day of their disaster, nor seize their wealth in the day of their disaster. You should not wait at the crossroads to cut down their fugitives, nor hand over their survivors in the day of their trouble. The Edomites were actually accused when Jerusalem was being captured by the Babylonians. The Edomites actually came in, and helped the Babylonians to loot the city of Jerusalem. The Edomites actually put up blockades and stopped the people who were trying to escape from Jerusalem. They actually captured them and handed them over to the Babylonians. And that The Babylonians were such cruel people, and that was such a harsh thing from someone who was supposed to be a brother, a brother nation. The day of the Lord is near for all nations. As you have done, it will be done to you. Your deeds will return upon your own head. Just as you drank on my holy hill, so all the nations will drink continually. They will drink and drink and be as if they had never been. But on Mount Zion will be deliverance. It will be holy. And the house of Jacob will possess its inheritance. The house of Jacob will be a fire. And the house of Joseph a flame. The house of Esau will be stubble. And they will set it on fire and consume it. There will be no survivors from the house of Esau. The Lord has spoken. That's talking about the utter destruction of Edom. And then some future prophetic words. People from the Negev will occupy the mountains of Esau. The people from the foothills will possess the land of the Philistines. They will occupy the fields of Ephraim and Samaria, and Benjamin will possess Gilead. This company of Israelite exiles who are in Canaan will possess the land as far as Zarephath. The exiles from Jerusalem who are in Sepharad will possess the towns of the Negev. Deliverers will go up on Mount Zion to govern the mountains of Esau, and the kingdom will be the Lord's. Let's just pray. Lord, I want to thank you for your word. And there's many parts of your word, Lord, that aren't easy to understand. But I just pray, Lord God that you would help us to understand the things that we need to hear from you tonight. And I just pray, Lord God, that you would help me to share the message that you've put on my heart, that I'm excited about, Lord God. I just pray that I would be able to do that faithfully. And I just thank you for your word, Lord God, and the way it challenges us. I pray that you'd challenge us tonight. In your name, Jesus. Amen. We're going to just have a look at a map that explains where Edom is. And you don't need to see the details of this map. But what I wanted to show you is this little dot up here. That's the Sea of Galilee going down the Jordan River to the Dead Sea. And so over here, this is the land of Israel that we know probably most about. Then if you go across the Jordan here, you go down and you see Ammon and Moab, and down in the southern area here, which this, this whole area is modern Jordan now, and down here we're looking at, well, probably even down further here, the, the land of the Edomites. Now, this was quite a strategic place, and there was a highway that went through Edom, up to Damascus. So that, that was the second most important international highway. There was actually another um, road that went across here and linked up to what was called the coastal highway, which was the most important international highway going down from Egypt north. And that across here was linking from the desert over to the sea. So Eden was quite a strategic place and there was a lot of uh, interest for other countries having control of the trade routes that went through the land of Edom. I want to describe for you one particular city in Edom just to give you a bit of a feel for what the country was like and I remember the excitement I felt as I went from the modern world in Jordan and just stepped through into what is no longer an inhabited city, but was a major city in Edom. And as I went, I just felt like I'd entered into another world. I saw in the distance a mountain, and according to tradition, that was the place where Aaron was buried, and there's a shrine up on top of this mountain, and that is supposedly where Aaron was buried. I entered in, and I saw, well, along the side, there were these tombs that were cut into the rock face and just actually cut into the face of the rock. It was quite interesting. And then as I walked along further, I entered some kind of a rock corridor and these walls started to appear appear either side of me and they started to get higher and higher. And I realised that it was just about sheer cliff faces and they started to get narrower, the distance between them. And I looked on the, the side of one of the walls and there was this carving that you could still make out and it was this camel caravan carved into the, the wall of this cliff. And some people actually believe that when Jesus was born and the Magi travelled bringing frankincense and myrrh, they, some people believe that they came through this city in a camel caravan and went, stopped here and then went on their way to see Jesus. And in my mind, in my imagination, I'm going back there, you know, and I'm part of it. And I was so excited because I love that sort of thing. And I love history. And I was thinking, wow, wouldn't it have been amazing to have lived back in that era? As I came further along this, this rock corridor, I saw my first glance of what is known as the treasury. And I could just see it silhouetted against the cliff walls. And then as I went further through and stepped out, I actually saw the whole of the treasury building. And for those of you that have seen, I don't know if you've seen Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, any, any fans there? Well, I don't know if you realize that that is actually the heart of Edomite territory that, where that film is shot. And up ahead, I, I, I was actually, that uh, corridor that I was walking through is called the Sheik, and this, what I was seeing was an entire city that was cut into the face of the rocks. And the rocks were quite amazing. I, I couldn't believe it. And as I hiked on for more than an hour more, I came to this summit. And as I looked down, I could just see just the, some of the wildest rock scenery I think you'd see anywhere in the world, and just these cliffs and it was just amazing. It was just like I was up on top of the world just looking down and I could just see all these amazing just sheer rock faces and chasms and unbelievable. What I'm describing is the city of Petra, which was a city in Edom. I don't know if, no, if you were listening to the radio, or uh, something on the news about Wodonga being the fastest growing provincial city in Australia. That's pretty good, isn't it? And why is that? It's because people have heard about Wodonga and District Baptist Church and they're flocking. (laughs) In this area, there's actually been a lot of industry that has been attracted. It's, It's a strategic location. People are coming. They're wanting jobs. Some people think this is a really good rural environment, a wholesome place to bring up children, so everyone comes and it's no longer a rural environment. It becomes a big city. But in ancient times, there were different reasons why people settled in particular places. One of the main reasons that cities were built in certain locations was concerning military strategy. So people were looking for natural fortification. There was a very different system of warfare and people needed to be able to protect themselves. Cities were often built on hills or in areas where it would be easy to defend. Another thing that people looked at was the supply of water. Was there an adequate supply of water? And the water supply often determined the size that a city could grow to. When you look at Petra and many places in Edom, the fortification systems are just outstanding. But the big problem is is how do you get the water there? You see a lot of natural fortresses that could be easily defended. Is there another slide that we could move on to there? Um, Yeah, so if you see in this slide, I don't know if you can actually see that from where you are, but down here, that is actually a huge palace or a huge building down there. And you see the size of the cliffs, and it's... It's like enclosed, and the area of the sheik is one entrance where you can get in, which is that narrow entrance we looked at, and then you're in this huge valley surrounded by cliffs. And you can imagine how easy it would be to defend something like that. But the problem is, where do you get your water from? And in Petra, if you look around the bottom of the cliffs, there's this covered pipe system, which are these channels that are covered over, so a very sophisticated underground pipe system that was set up We're talking about um, many years B.C. And I wonder if people that were living in Edom had a sense of pride and a sense that they were wise because here they were, populating cities, um, putting cities, settling cities where nobody had ever been able to live before because it was just so harsh and it was just so desolate. And here they'd come up with this technology and they were living in places where you and I would just die once we ran out of our bottled water, you know, what would we do? But it was just incredible to see, and and I know how hot it was. I was there hiking, and it was just, the the heat was intense. And even within a few hours, the water that you were carrying would be that hot that you couldn't even drink it. And so these people had managed to do something that defied the odds. And I think that that could have been one of the reasons why there was this pride and why they said that there was wisdom in Edom. I just want to read those two verses in Obadiah again, verses three and four, and just in the light of what I have been talking about um, about Edom, it might help us to understand a little bit more about why the Edomites were in the situation they were in. The pride of your heart has deceived you, you who live in the clefts of the rocks and make your homes in the heights. You who say to yourself, who can bring me down to the ground? Though you soar like the eagle and make your nest among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. Pride in the Bible is usually portrayed in a very negative way. And as I was looking at what, what does the word arrogant mean, I read in a dictionary this. It said to claim and assume as a right that to which one is not entitled. So to claim something as your right which you're not entitled to. And I thought that was a fascinating definition just to find in an ordinary dictionary. And as I was reading through these words in Abadiah, talking about living in the clefts of the rock and that sense of security that developed, I thought, isn't that an interesting comparison when you look at something like Psalm 31.3 and you read, you are indeed my rock and my fortress. And who's this talking about? Psalm 42.9, I say to God, my rock. And exactly the same Hebrew word is used for rock as is used when the, the uh, people in Edom are talking about living in the clefts of the rock and trusting in the natural rocks. In the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 10.4 says, and that rock was Christ. It made me think that the Edomites had a distorted view of life. They were living a lie and the problem was that they were following their hearts. And the Bible tells us that their hearts deceived them. They were following their understanding. Jeremiah says in chapter 17, verse 9, The heart is devious above all. It is perverse. Who can understand it? Our hearts are not good guides. If you watch TV, it won't take very long to get quite a clear message, and that message would be follow your heart. And that's what the Edomites did, and they were deceived. They were trusting in the rocks to believe them, to protect them, and they sincerely believed. That this, is, this is one of the things that really impacts me when I look at it. They sincerely believed that they were protected, that they were safe, but they were wrong. They were self-deceived. And doesn't it seem so natural to follow our hearts? Doesn't it seem so right to follow our hearts? But do we ever stop to consider that our own hearts might not be the best guide? Have we ever thought that our own hearts could lead us astray? Have we ever experienced that, where we've sincerely believed something and then realised that we went the wrong way, we made the wrong decision, even though we were sincere about it? It's a hard thing to face up to. And God says to us, he says, give me your heart and I'll guide you. I will give you wisdom and I'll give you discernment. Make me your rock. The Edomites actually have some, questions, some things that they say in their heart. They don't actually say them out loud. It says, you say in your heart, who will bring me down to the ground? And there's this sense of being invincible. There's this sense that nobody can touch me? What are the thoughts that are in your heart, the thoughts that nobody else knows about? Are there unhealthy aspects of self-sufficiency there sometimes? In our society, what is it that takes the place of God? We need to pray for our country, for Australia, because God is not the rock of this country. I was talking with a man from Paris, and he was saying how, and obviously he knows about a secular country living in France, and he was saying how secular Australia is, and talking to one man who doesn't live in Australia and he travels all around the world, he said to me that he believes Australia is the second most secular country in the world, only second to France. And we really need to pray for our country. We need to pray for labourers for the harvest in Australia, for labourers for the harvest in Wodonga, in Aubrey and all the outlying districts, the, the area where you come from. Pray for labourers for the harvest so that this country can change and have Jesus Christ as the rock in this country. But what about in our own lives? What things in our lives do we rely on? What things in our lives do we trust? What people Do you rely on your health? Do you think, well, I could never get sick, I feel so strong, I feel so healthy, I'm never going to get old? That happens to other people. Do you trust in your children? Do you find security in your children, in their achievements, in your husband or in your wife? A personal one for me here, something that I could rely on. Can I rely on what I learnt at Wheaton College? Can I rely on my academic ability? Because I could get up here tonight and I could entertain you and I could probably even inspire you for a moment, just with my own ability, but I can't transform a person's life. I can't bear fruit that will last. When I get up here or when I'm teaching when I'm sharing, I don't want people to say, well, she knows what she's talking about because that is not enough by itself. That's dead by itself. Education's not what changes people's lives. I don't want to talk from theory. And I, my, the desire of my heart is that when I speak, that people will know that I've been with Jesus as they did With the disciples who had no education they thought "Well, what's happened why have they changed and it was because they had spent time with jesus christ i want people to know that i love god's word and that i spend time i meet with him through his word and his word has cut through to my heart and i pray that you know as i'm sharing god's word with other people i pray that the holy spirit will take the word of god and cut through to our souls, to the depths of our being and I pray that the Holy Spirit will change lives just because of his word. I pray that I can communicate that passion and the grace of God. The Edomites thought that they were up above everything. They talk about the eagles, they talk about the stars, the heavens, the mountains... They thought they were inaccessible, but God created all those things that they were trusting in. In the Bible, pride so often is set against humility. Throughout Proverbs, there's a lot of verses. When pride comes, then comes disgrace, but wisdom is with the humble. The opposite of pride is humility. The best definition of humility, I believe, is in the life of Jesus and the principle that I was talking about when I opened, when I said the degree that we did develop this principle, it will determine how far we go in our spiritual development, I was talking about humility there. And I believe so strongly about the need for us just to grow in humility in our lives. I believe that that is the attitude that determines our capacity to grow spiritually. And Jesus Christ we read in Philippians, he laid aside all the privileges that he was entitled to. And this is what amazes me. Arrogance is claiming rights that we're not entitled to. Humility, in Jesus' case, we see that example that he gave up rights that he was entitled to, the exact opposite. And he came, the son of God, and he came as a servant. He came As a person, God created people, and here's Jesus coming as a person to the earth. He died on the cross, crucified. The Son of God was entitled to come as the king. He was entitled to come and to be worshipped. He was entitled to be treated with the greatest respect and the greatest dignity. And he laid aside his privileges, and he humbled himself. And how do I humble myself? Instead of trusting in myself and my own ability, the first step is putting Jesus Christ in his rightful place in my life. He is the rock. And many of you have taken that first step. Some of you may not have taken that first step. And it's about recognising the distortion that is in our lives, recognising the confusion and the way things are mixed up, me being up here instead of down here and God being down here instead of up here and changing those things that need to be changed. The distortion, sin in our lives needs to be addressed. We need forgiveness for that sin. And if you've never done that, that's the first step. And if you don't know how to do that, maybe you need to talk to somebody before you leave tonight. Maybe you've come with somebody that could explain, with you, explain to you how to do that. If you don't know who to talk to or you'd like to talk to somebody who you don't know, talk to somebody on the team, someone sitting up the front here, um, somebody that is on the pastoral care team or someone, ring up somebody whose name is in the bulletin if you want to do that during the week. But that's the first step. For some reason, it is hard for us, it's hard for me, to keep Christ in that place. Once we make a decision to follow Christ, that doesn't mean that things stay in the right balance in our lives. How do I stay humble? How do I keep Christ in that place? And for me, this is a daily challenge to do this. When I pray, I'm saying, I'm not able, I'm not sufficient, but God, you are, you are powerful. You can do this. As I thought about the Edomites, I actually felt... um, quite challenged myself. I was thinking about developing as a worshipper and growing as a worshipper because as I worship God, as I pray and I acknowledge who God is, God gets put in his rightful place in my life and I get put in a place that is lower. Um, I want to share something with you because I find it hard to pray. I struggle with prayer. And for years I've been praying and asking God what to do about this and asking him to teach me how to pray, how to become a better worshipper. I didn't even understand what worship was, let alone praying at all. And I've just been praying that God would help me to know how to worship more. And just between you and me, we won't tell everybody else, but I just <laughs> want to let you know that I, what I've been doing is I thought, well, if I don't know how to pray very well, why don't I look at people who do know how to pray very well and why don't I borrow their prayers? Why don't I write down their prayers and why don't I pray them myself? Because I thought, well, that's a a good way. If I don't know what to say, I'll find people that do know what to say and I'll learn their prayers, pray their prayers. And so, like, if you look at the Bible, I'll I'll just read from Revelation chapter 4, and here we find there's four living creatures. This is talking about in heaven, four living creatures, and they had six wings and covered, and was um, covered with eyes all around, even under his wings. Day and night they never stopped saying, and this is what they say: "Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come." I thought, well, there's a good prayer, and I thought these these um, heavenly beings they pray this day and night, constantly. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come, over and over again. And I thought, well, if I'm going to be doing that in heaven, I need to start now. I need to get prepared. And so I started to pray this phrase and I started to make it my prayer. And I went out one night and I remember just praying it over and over again. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come, And I tell you, you start saying words like that, declaring words like that, there's no arrogant thoughts in your mind. You start saying something like that over and over again and it'll make you feel like kneeling down. It'll make you feel like God is just so amazing. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And then down in verse 11, another prayer Laying down their crowns before the throne, and say, They lay down, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. So I've started to borrow prayers like this from the Bible, and I've started to pray them, and it's changed my life. Because if you struggle like me with worship, these verses teach us how to worship. When I woke up one morning, I was thinking about the Edomites and I was thinking how they made these claims. They claimed to be untouchable. They claimed to be up here. And when they made those claims, what that meant was that they had a position to maintain That meant that they had something that they had to defend in their lives. They had something to lose in their lives. And as I thought about that, I found this to be a great relief to me because I thought when we place God in his rightful place in our lives, that means that God is the one that has to be great, not us. And that takes the pressure off because we don't have to prove something to ourselves. We don't have to prove something to other people. Because we don't have to be great. We can be humble and it's God's job to be great. God just asks us to be faithful. We're still accountable. But I just found that to be a very freeing thing and something that brings peace and joy with it. If you look at a modern map of the world, you won't find the title Edom on any country because Edom is a place of history. The prophecies that were fulfilled about the nation of Israel of Edom, and I could there are some really interesting things to do with that that I haven't got time to go into. The fortresses in Petra no longer protect anyone. The fortresses in the capital of Bosra are just wilderness. They don't nobody lives there. They don't protect anybody. I want you just to close your eyes for a moment. And I want to ask you a question. I want to ask you how serious am I about growing spiritually? Am I serious enough to do something different this week in my life? Or am I secure about the way things are? am I comfortable about the way things are? Because it's a distortion to think that if we continue on living as we are, that things will change in our lives. If we come along to church for an hour and a half on a Sunday, we're not going to learn humility. We're not going to learn how to worship God. That's something that needs to happen during the week. How can I humble myself? The first step is to place Jesus Christ as the rock in our lives and then it's to keep him in that place. And if you're not sure how to start, I suggest that you try what I've been doing in borrowing other people's prayers out of the Bible. And I want to challenge you to take a pen and I want to challenge you to take a Bible and I want to challenge you to go and if you don't know where to start, I'd suggest that you just look from Psalm 145 onwards during the week and just start to underline phrases that talk about Jesus as the rock, as Jesus Christ, as in his rightful place in our lives. And I want you to start speaking these things out loud, speaking the word of God out loud, praying these phrases out loud, and just declaring who God is, the greatness of God. Let him who boasts, boast in the Lord.